Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Queen's, Queen's. Hey, Nathan. Hey, Katie. Did you know that there are just as many impressive women as there is men in history? Hmm, are you sure about that? I think so. Uh, not according to the history books. Well, throw those books in the garbage, because this is Queen's Podcast. We take a look at badass women in history, pair them with a cocktail, and let you in on the lowdown of their lives. We're talking Cleopatra. Coming at ya. Catherine de' Medici. Savage. Lucrezia Borgia. That girl is poison. (laughs) The Tudor women. Off with their heads. Marie Antoinette. Uh, Off with her head, too. Off with her head, too. (laughs) So tune in and grab a drink with us. We're on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Cheers, bitches. Cheers. Clink. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. episode of Geek and Amazons. This is your host, Yamina speaking, and I am, of course, as always, joined by my lovely co-host. Hi, I'm Bella. And, well, Belinda, it finally happens. Yeah. Black Panther came out. Yes, it did. And it was friggin' amazing. Yes, it was. It was beautiful. Oh, my God. When I saw Wakanda, I cried the way I cried when I saw Themyscira for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Both of the films elicited very, very similar reactions in me. That's true. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was gorgeous. The music was amazing. I'm listening to this on repeat. And and there was uh, no white hero. Yes. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it was a white male damsel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That dude got rescued and made fun of mercilessly. Colonizer. Yeah, colonizer. And we won't say how, but he was silenced in a very creative way, Mm -hmm. which I hope catches on. Yes. (laughs) I came correct. I did indeed wear my Black Panther King of Kittens t-shirt to go see the movie. (laughs) Everything about that movie was wonderful. It was. It was perfect. And the women kicked so much ass. The women saved the day. They did. The Dora Milaje were amazing. Yep. And all of the women knew what was up. Yep. And schooled everyone else. Mm-hmm. And Princess Shuri is my new favorite Disney princess. Yep. And no boob armor. No boob armor. Those Dora Milaje uniforms were for functionality and comfort yes. and not sexualization. And they looked badass. Oh, they so did. And they were very like immaculately detailed. I love seeing all the, mm. the stuff online about where the imagery and the details were sourced from. It borrowed from a bunch of different cultures yeah. in, in a very cool and respectful way. Yeah. There was one article, I think you shared it with me, where some of the beating on their uniforms was inspired by the costume designer's grandmother's table runner, mm-hmm. which I thought was so cute. Yeah, it was gorgeous. It was perfect. Oh, God. Go see it. It was. Yes, go see it if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Ryan Coogler knocked it out of the park. Yes. He just, oh, God, so good. Which he always does. He does. Yes. I haven't seen Fruitvale Station yet, but. I haven't either because it sounds 
so heartbreaking. Yeah, I don't know if I would I, be able to emotionally handle that. I don't that. think I can. Mm-mm, I probably can't. But, but Creed is amazing. Oh, Creed. I can't mm-hmm. say enough good things about that movie. And mm-hmm. speaking of, it was very interesting to see Michael B. Jordan play a villain. And he did it very well. Mm-hmm. I'm loving all of the articles that are coming out about what an interesting and complex, albeit terrifying villain, um, Killmonger yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read like a million think pieces on that and they never get old. Mm-hmm. And they're all good. And they all make wonderful points. And this is such a layered movie, but it's still a Marvel movie. Yes. And it's wonderful. Can't say enough good things about Black Panther. Unfortunately, this episode is not about Black Panther. No, all good <laughs> things. All good things. <laughs> but it is about something that Black Panther got right. Yeah. And that is the white savior trope. Yep. We see it all the time and it's getting tired, y'all. Oh my God. It's been done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hollywood just hasn't gotten that no, or they've gotten it and ignored it. Right. So for those of you who don't know, the white savior trope portrays a white character rescuing people of color from their plight. It portrays the white protagonist as a messianic figure who learns something about themselves while rescuing characters of color. It attributes innate morality to these white saviors to these white people and it implies that people of color lack these traits which is why they can't save themselves right it's a weird superiority complex exactly based on skin so, color ba- exactly based on skin color so typically they're based on some supposed true story mm-hmm. it features a group of non-white people who experience conflict and struggle the white person enters during their struggle typically it's a teacher a mentor a lawyer a military hero a writer and physically saves or morally redeems this community that is comprised of people of color the movie hidden figures recently faced this because they made it mostly about the white guys at nasa yeah now we did an episode last year about how amazing katherine johnson was right or is i should say She's still alive. God bless. But she clawed her way to the top of her field at NASA. Mm -hmm. But the movie Hidden Figures basically was like, I, white man, have handed you, black woman, opportunity. Please thank me. Mm -hmm. It's very disappointing. Because as I stated, this is typically seen in true stories. And Mm -hmm. what happens is the person of color will write the book, it'll be optioned, and then the producers will decide to make the movie from the white person's point of view. Mm -hmm. So they'll change the narrative to make the white person the center of the story and make them the hero when (sighs) that's not the case. (laughs) Right. It's almost like they try to make it more palatable to a white audience. Yeah, I'm actually to come up in one of my examples later and one of the things that really irritates me is that it doesn't make sense because it attributes these traits to white people even though white people typically are the villain also right and the movies never address that the real problem is that the system is rigged because of Mm -hmm. colonialism eurocentrism systematic racism like that's never addressed that that's the root of the problem and people of color don't need rescuing they need all of that to not happen so examples of this trope that we will not be discussing include films like glory amistad finding forrester the last samurai half nelson Gran Torino, Avatar, and The Blind Side. I totally forgot about Amistad. I 
There are so many listeners. As Mina and I were planning this episode, because we constantly text back and forth, every five seconds, one of us is like, oh, I forgot about this. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, this one. Oh, that one. Mm-hmm. It's one of those tropes that you don't realize until it's right in front of your face, like saint slut dichotomy. Right. Like it's Someone one of it out and you're like, oh my mm-hmm. God, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's so tired. And it's a lot. Like, COVID, like Avatar, it isn't until you think about it where you're like, oh, this doesn't make sense. In Avatar, it's kind of like hiding vegetables in dessert because <laughs> <laughs> because the white guy is in a Navi suit. So he's still a white guy. It's going to sound terrible, but he's essentially doing like their version of blackface. It's like the epitome of appropriation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not as obvious as like, say, Pocahontas. And exactly. I'm not even going to touch that Disney dumpster fire. But it's the same thing. The white slash English way of life is superior and or the right way. And you are savages and need to be taught. Right, exactly. That's another huge part of the problem is that haha, it's pop culture, but no, actually... Most of our history involves Europeans and then Americans invading foreign lands, calling those people savages, right? and quote-unquote fixing them, rescuing them, teaching them, which really means wiping out your culture and sometimes your people. (laughs) So do you want to dive into your first specific example? Yeah, let's rip off this band-aid, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing about the white savior complex, folks. There's no good stories here. Like, usually we give you, like, a little bit of the bitter and a little bit of the sweet here on Geek and Amazons. Not so today. Yeah, no, no, It's It's just all terrible. But you know what? There are ways to not have it. Right. So I'm just going to start with the biggest one, and that's the help. Mm. Where do I even start? Actually, I'm going to start out by saying it's one of my problematic faves. Mm -hmm. I happen to think The Help is a wonderful book, notwithstanding everything else, uh, (laughs) Catherine Stockett, I think, is a wonderful writer. She created Minnie Jackson, who is probably one of my favorite characters to ever exist in literature. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to throw a little fun fact at you. She wrote Minnie Jackson, that character. She was inspired by Octavia Spencer. And she always said to herself, you know, if The Help was ever made into a movie, I would want Octavia Spencer to play Minnie. So I'm going to model Minnie after Octavia Spencer. (laughs) Octavia Spencer not only played Minnie in the movie version of The Help, but she won the Oscar. (laughs) That's amazing. So, yeah, I love it. And she was fabulous. So here's the extremely short version of The Help. It takes place in Mississippi in 1962. So we're in the deep south at like the height of Jim Crow. And the book is split into, and I'm going to mostly talk about the book because the movie takes some liberties, but the book is told by three narrators. We've got Minnie Jackson. We've got her friend Abilene. And they're both maids. And they both work in white homes. Minnie keeps getting fired because she doesn't know how to be domestic. Technically, she she mouths off and she talks back. And Abilene, shortly before the start of the book, she loses her son. So she is just broken. Mm-hmm. And you just want to hug her. She's the help. She's been doing it since she's a teenager. And this is the only life she knows. And then we get Skeeter. Mm-hmm. Skeeter is the white woman. She's an extremely wealthy white woman. Her parents run a cotton farm. That is not a joke. Mm. 
she's a disappointment to her family because she had the audacity to go to college instead of get married. Mm -hmm. So Skeeter wants to be a writer in the worst way. This opportunity to write a book like falls in her lap and they're like, well, what do you got? And she suddenly is inspired to be like, I'm going to write about the lives of the black maids in the town I live in. And the editor is like, cool, but you better do it fast before this whole civil rights thing blows over. Mm. That's the mindset that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. So she enlists the help of Abilene and Minnie. And basically she's like, hey, get your friends to participate in this book. And she basically sits and she interviews these maids about what it's like to work in white homes. And, you know, I want to hear the good. I want to hear the bad. And basically... This all starts also because there's this trend, and I think it was a real thing at one point, but there was this trend of adding an additional bathroom onto a white home that was strictly for the help because apparently the bodily fluids of black people carry diseases. Isn't racism great, you guys? Super fun. So this is like basically what kicks her off. So she's going to write a book. You know, she basically she exploits the black women of her town. She writes it anonymously. She changes everybody's names. But over the course of the book, it like quickly unravels. And one of my favorite scenes in the book, actually, is that Skeeter totally gets called out on her shit by these black women throughout the entire book. They're like, what makes you so special? Why is it you telling these stories? Mm-hmm. You're going to make money off of the backs of black women. Mm. One black woman even goes so far as to pretend she's interested in being interviewed for the book and instead spends the entire time basically tearing Skeeter a new one. <laughs> it's... <laughs> that did not make it to the movie, right? No. Uh, well, Unfortunately? Sort of. Okay. It's a lighter version. It's a more gentle version. Ah, got it. But Skeeter is like trying. She's this sheltered, wealthy, white girl who literally has no idea what she's doing. And she basically... Mm-hmm. It does exactly that. She makes money off of the stories of these black women. I mean, she does share the wealth. So that is Uh something. But, you know, again, spoiler alert, at the end of the book, she goes off to New York because she gets a job at a book publisher. And she basically leaves Abilene and Minnie and the rest of the black women who she used in her book basically left in her small town in Mississippi to clean up the mess. So the whole time, Abilene is just like, oh, Miss Skeeter, thank you so much. And basically like, you know, groveling and like, oh, thank you so much for telling our story. And it's like, "Mm, come on. And I will say, Catherine Stockett is a white woman. She is from Mississippi. She did grow up during the Jim Crow era. Her family did have black help, and she drew a lot of inspiration from that. But she still benefited off of having, you know, servants Mm -hmm. in her house. So it does even itself out eventually, but it does it in the messiest way possible. It's so white savory because it just holds up Skeeter as this example of the storyteller and she's the savior and she was so brave to tell these stories when nobody else could. She tries, bless her heart, as they would say in the South. (laughs) (laughs) AKA, fuck that bitch. So that's That's one of my favorite things that I've ever learned that bless her heart in the south yeah it basically it, it <laughs> basically is just saying like you are a colossal moron <laughs> all right so that's the help all right so please excuse my dog barking in the background as long as you excuse my cats knocking shit off of the table <laughs> so i'm actually gonna do something different and do one pop culture example and then talk about real world stuff yeah. So I'm going to start off with my pop culture example, and I'm going to go with Dangerous Minds mm-hmm. from 1995. Been spending most our lives. <laughs> 
I think that's the only thing anybody remembers from that movie. It's also the best part of the movie. Yeah. So it stars Michelle Pfeiffer's. (laughs) You you said it. (laughs) I had to. And it's based on the true story of Luann Johnson, who wrote a book about her experiences in 1992 called My Posse Don't Do Homework. She's a former Navy journalist and Marine Corps officer who became an English teacher in East Palo Alto. She's actually still teaching to this day. No kidding. Yeah. Despite in the movie her like freaking out and quitting apparently. I I didn't watch the movie. (laughs) I didn't want to watch that crap. I did research though. So in the movie, the students are of course turned into walking caricatures. They are all people of color. Johnson said specifically that her classroom was actually pretty diverse and it was pretty equally distributed amongst black white and hispanic students but in the movie it's like 98 percent minorities and then like a token white kid Mm -hmm. because it isn't white savory enough if there's white people in the mix you have to rescue solely people of color and all of her students whose real names were used in the movie oh no were not happy with this movie because the movie made them out to be just awful kids they're all gangbangers and they don't speak English well and the teen girls are pregnant, which these are all problems that occur. Yes, but well, that's not every single kid that's a person of color. Mm-hmm. In one of the scenes, one of the grandparents of African-American students calls her a white bread bitch. Mm. Never happened. <laughs> Johnson like was on set and was like, why did you put this in? And the writers apparently were like, well, we were sure that some of the black and Hispanic parents must have resented you. Oh my God. Yeah, this is just a disaster. Fortunately, Johnson has like spoken out about how horrible this whole thing was. So apparently she was on set one time and she complained and they didn't invite her on set again. And what she complained about was they wanted her character to have an affair with one of the students. Oh no. (laughs) And she was like, this is my life. This is my job. You're making a movie about me and you're using my name and you're going to say that I raped a kid. Mm. And they were like, fine, fine. I guess we won't include that. But she wasn't allowed on set. This whole, okay. This is just like terrible anecdote after terrible anecdote. So they made her like the cool white lady. Of course. In a leather jacket. Mm -hmm. When? How else are you supposed to know she's cool? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what they were thinking. (laughs) When in reality, Johnson went out of her way to dress professionally because she wanted to distinguish the fact that she's an adult and they're students. Like, that's what teachers do. Mm -hmm. But in Hollywood, no. And so she, in real life, taught her students to care about poetry by printing out lyrics to Public Enemies 911 as a joke. And she was like, do you think this is poetry? Yes or no? And she made them choose. And they said, all right, fine. It reads like poetry. And so that's how she got them into Shakespeare and other poets. And she said it was really cool because she would hear them using literary terms when describing their favorite rap songs. In the movie, Mm -hmm. she challenges her students to a Dylan Dylan contest in which they have to find a Bob Dylan song that reads like a Dylan Thomas poem. The winner of this contest gets a dinner date with her. Oh my God. Because the writers were like, we're going to get some... (laughs) Statutory rape in there. We're going to work it in. Mm. But so apparently, and the movie was called out for this, it was too much of a stretch for audiences to see rap as an art form, Mm -hmm. which I have notes and I wrote, which is why so few non-white performers get Grammys while white performers win Grammys for appropriate music. Yeah. (laughs) 
because I will always be salty. But so they like went out of their way to make this teacher be a hero. Like in the movie, the kids are in way worse situations. Johnson was really angry that the movie kills off one of her students who in real life became a Marine and like had a successful life. And in the final scene of the movie, she leaves the job because it's so stressful. So it's not only like white saviory, but like this white lady can't handle anything (laughs) and is like dainty. So they just screwed everyone over. But so (laughs) so the students beg her to stay and paraphrase Dylan Thomas and say, we see you as being our light. If that is the most heavy-handed shit I ever read in my life. I can't. It's awful. So everything about this is frustrating. But what really irritates me is that in real life, there actually is a shortage of teachers who are people of color. Mm. And it's not because people of color aren't going to school for education. It's that teachers of color especially those that are black have higher unemployment rates and don't get jobs as teachers oh my god yeah there have been studies done you can look up this data i wonder i mean i don't want i mean i know but at the same time it's like why right you think that in urban areas they would intentionally seek out people of color Mm -hmm. as teachers because you want kids to have role models that look like them exactly but unfortunately if you think about it, superintendents tend to be white. Principals tend to be white mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So it starts at the top. Ugh, man. So you have a shortage of teachers who are people of color. And then you praise white teachers like they're doing people of color a favor by educating their kids and rescuing their kids. When, first of all, hire people of color. Yeah. Second, studies have shown that white teachers in urban areas say some real racist shit to their students it's a problem so everything sorry Bella snoring so everything about this is awful and a problem and I just made myself angry oh god (laughs) I can't it definitely reminds me of the movie Freedom Writers like right even the using rap lyrics as poetry has has become like a really funny trope in like a satirical trope in movies now where like the cool teacher walks in and it's like you don't think this is poetry yeah she actually is more like Johnson in real life in which Aaron Gruel who's played by Hillary Swank she wears like suits to work and she wears pearls one of the things that really annoyed me about freedom writers is that she's teaching 15 16 year old kids and she mentioned the holocaust and they did not know what the holocaust was and Mm -hmm. while i understand that maybe not everybody would know about the holocaust but she asked her class which has maybe 20 something kids in it she said who has never heard of the holocaust and almost every single kid raises their hand even in a low income area because this is los angeles i have a hard time believing that that many teenagers do not know what the holocaust was that's not them yeah i do not believe that it takes place in 1994 so the holocaust Mm -hmm. was not that long ago in 1994 it was Mm -hmm. 50 40 years ago for 40 50 i can math um (laughs) right so i'm like you gotta be kidding me but the movie's based on her book so part of me also wonders how much of these books is true exactly so a lot of the things that you were talking about in dangerous minds i was like oh that sounds like freedom writers oh that (laughs) sounds like freedom it's almost like a copy paste but Mm -hmm. you know just as bad like no improvements were made (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So I guess I'll talk about some of my real world examples. Yeah. 
because I kind of piggybacked on Dangerous Minds for you. So this is just like a hodgepodge of things. Mm -hmm. So it's we're recording in February and this will be posted in February. Yes. So this Black History Month, I don't know if you saw this, the Boston Police Department decided to tweet in honor of Black History Month. When police departments tweet, it's almost never good. They tweeted in honor of a former Celtics basketball coach who was white, who was the first to draft a black player. White mediocrity strikes again. Not to mention that basketball was segregated because white people are garbage. Yeah. Listen, I'm white and I agree. (laughs) (laughs) We're the worst. I don't. I don't. Like, I just don't understand. So another example was recently when a man in Portland was stabbed while protecting two Muslim girls who were harassed by a racist person on a train. And even the guy who was stabbed called everyone out for paying more attention to him than to the two girls. I remember that. And so people raised money for him and he was like, whoa, 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 I'm going to be fine. These two girls were assaulted on a train for the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. Let's help them out. So he started to go fund me for the girls. And it's also interesting because Portland is the city that is known for being progressive, but... It's in the middle of what I've heard are some like really scary areas if you're a person of color. Oregon is not as progressive as Portland. No, it really isn't. I have family. (laughs) I have family there. And there are parts of Portland where, you know, it's very poverty stricken. They have a very big homeless problem. But then again, Portland is also surrounded by a lot of really conservative areas. Mm -hmm. Well, and even though it's known for being a progressive city, it's actually not diverse. No. Oh, it's not very, very gentrified city and a lot of hipsters lots of hipsters and they have had issues with police attacking protesters mm-hmm. specifically black lives matters protesters mm-hmm. yeah so portland is like mecca to white saviors mm-hmm. it's a very hypocritical city yeah it pats itself on the back for being progressive mm-hmm. but it doesn't practice what it preaches i haven't been there a lot i've been there twice visiting family and even i'm like mm. <laughs> Something's not right here. When I go to Portland, I always feel like just a little bit uncomfortable because everybody is like falling over themselves to be the most. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they have like an image to uphold. Right. And they don't do it well. Everybody in Portland is pissed at us right now. (laughs) (laughs) We just lost all of our listeners in Portland. (laughs) Including my (laughs) in-laws. Coming from New Jersey... Where we are such a diverse state, Mm -hmm. we often talk the talk and walk the walk. So my final example for now, because I got so much more to talk about, is images of police officers that magically appear online right after officers have been caught murdering unarmed black men. So it's those pictures of nice white cops with their arm around a young black kid. Mm-hmm. And, oh, they're breakdancing with youths. Oh, they're playing basketball with youths. Oh, they're buying groceries for this poor black woman. And they always somehow magically appear right after there's a shooting. Mm-hmm. And so one specific example I found was an image from Ohio of a state patrol officer changing the tire for an African-American woman. And so someone stopped and took a picture and was like, this proves that most cops are good. <sighs> and he <laughs> himself said, actually, this is a direct quote. 
he pulled over he had a gut reaction he didn't think about the fact that the woman being helped was african-american at the time but admitted that upon reflection her race did matter quote i have to wonder had all this stuff that's going on in our society not been happening would i have even bothered to pull over and take that picture i don't know so he's basically saying hey people are mean to cops i took this picture so that people stop being mean to cops and we're not here to discuss the layers to that issue right the point is people take pictures of one moment Mm -hmm. and use it to tout this myth of the white savior cop and when do we ever get the full story exactly it's a snapshot image so basically you're using these images of people of color to espouse your agenda Mm -hmm. and that's the root of the problem that you and i are talking about is that you're exploiting people who have already been exploited in order to further your agenda, which in no way serves the community that you're exploiting. What it does is next to nothing. Exactly. It's not going to stop another cop from gunning down another unarmed black person. Exactly. It's Absolutely. still going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many times cops give ice cream cones to underprivileged oh, children. God, I about that one. I don't care how many bicycles they buy. It's not going to stop. And we don't want to start a debate about this. We're just talking examples here before we get angry messages. Should <laughs> I move? Because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Right. Yeah, let's right. move on. Okay. Okay. So I realized that I kind of have a theme going with most of my stuff is okay. that they all take place in the 50s and 60s. Okay. But I guess it's to show that like things don't really change. Yes. So I've talked a lot about Call the Midwife on this show because it's a great show. Here's the thing about Call the Midwife is that it has something in common with the help and that's the time period it's set in. Call the Midwife is also taking place in the 50s and the early 60s in England where they didn't have Jim Crow, but it was still kind of like unspoken. Like people were hella racist anyway. (laughs) First of all, we don't get any characters of color until the end of season two of Call the Midwife. She's a one-off character. Her name is Monique. She's a Jamaican transplant to London, a very low-income area of London called Poplar. So Monique comes on the scene. She's pregnant. She just moved to Poplar with her husband. Usual racism abounds. She gets the side eye because she has the gall to attend the same clinic as the rest of the white women. A few of the white patients actually get together and ask the midwives to see them first before seeing the black woman because quote everyone knows they carry diseases Ah, people okay yeah people really thought that but yes people really thought that people really thought that the thing about the midwife characters is that they're midwives they don't discriminate because they have to take care of everybody regardless of what they look like but that doesn't mean they don't have white savior complex Mm -hmm. in the most recent season there's a storyline about again more one-off characters but that's the way it is with this show there's a storyline about female genital mutilation actually they have immigrants from well i mean back then it was Somaliland because, you know, it's the 50s. I believe Somalia still practices FGM. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. So there's a storyline about female genital mutilation. One of their patients has been mutilated in that way. I hate calling it female circumcision because it no way resembles Mm -hmm. what we think of as circumcision. Anyway, so there's this controversy about like, 
you know, the abuse of FGM and the patient in question actually has a very young sister who she tells the midwives like, oh, yeah, she's eventually going to go back to Somaliland and get circumcised. And the midwives are like, well, what do you mean? Because this is hella dangerous and not cool. And what do you mean you're going to send her back to get this done to her? And Mina, I believe you and I have had a conversation about this is that where is the line of culture and then stepping in and saying, whoa, this is not okay. So this is kind of the same line of like, they get on like this moral high horse about another culture about, well, this is wrong and this is, but it is their culture and FGM is on the steady decline. Thank God, because it is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. But the character actually straight up says she's like, look, this is this is what my people do. This is what becoming a woman in my culture is. And this is my life. And I'll thank you to GTFO. And the point isn't, is it right? It's wrong. The point is, let them handle their business. Mm -hmm. If they ask for help, you help. Right, exactly. But if they don't stay in your lane. That show is so good, but it's got its problems. And then one last thing about Call the Midwife is every year they do a Christmas special. In the 2016 special, they went to South Africa. Okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. I will say one thing. They filmed on location. Oh, cool. And they used local actors. Cool. And some of the cast actually learned Zosho, I think, is the native language. That they did well. But, you know, it's that colonization of here are white medical professionals coming to South Africa. And this is like during the apartheid. Here are white medical professionals coming in to save the day mm-hmm. and shaking a finger in the face of these poor people who can't feed their children and saying, how could you not be able to provide for your child? You should come to us if you can't feed your child. And it's your fault. They can't feed their kids. There's one line in which the doctor that's been living in South Africa, she's this white Irish doctor, and she actually says at one point when they have a discussion about birth control, about like, have you introduced birth control to them? And the white doctor, she says, you know, these women are poor, they're black, and they are living in a society that is gradually stripping them of their rights, and motherhood is all they have left. Yeah. So not only is it like, oh, how sad this poor woman, it's a woman's worth is how many children she can have, and oh, how, oh, poor her poor her so this whole storyline of them going to south africa and literally being the white saviors yeah it's so uncomfortable like this show does so many things right but when it goes wrong it's like oh come on guys you know better i was gonna talk about it but i didn't do the research on it but volunteer tourism is a thing and that's the whole point of it these white middle class people Yeah, please do talk about it. They go to different countries and they quote unquote help save the indigenous people, but it's really a massive photo op. And most of the time they're actually getting in the way of stuff getting done. Right. (laughs) Which is, I think, one of the greatest ironies ever. But so it makes sense that Call the Midwife would have that because that is a huge, huge part of our culture. In fact, I was watching one of the Red Nose Day programs. Very funny. They're amazing. But then they're like, help us send money to these African countries. And it just dawned on me that the reason these African countries need help is because Great Britain was an empire that colonized them. So yeah, really, these are reparations that people are giving to these African countries for all of the damage that they caused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Except it's not called that. It's called charity. 
white guilt. White guilt. That white guilt, though. Except they won't call it that. No. I just don't think they want to admit it. Right. Okay, so I have one more. Sorry, did you have another? I'm sorry. So recently, one of my Facebook friends, who actually is from Portland, explained to me that there is a phenomenon that exists, and it is anti-racism groups that don't include people of color. Right. I did not know this was a thing. They explained that they had had past issues with these groups, both with racism and with transphobia. So white-led anti-racism groups have actually existed for a very long time. The Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society of 1833 believed that slave owners were missing out on a business opportunity by not paying slaves because paying slaves would make them doubly valuable to their masters because they'd be Mm. more motivated. So their reasoning for abolishing slavery is because capitalism. So I believe that's precedence for this entire world of white-led anti-racism groups so there are a few there is resource generation white people challenging racism unitarian universalist churches and association anti-racism collaborative capital area against mass incarceration but the most visible group is showing up for racial justice and that's surge surge was founded in 2009 by white people who were motivated by obama's win of course. Mm -hmm. And their methods include providing resources and support for white people to create social change. So that's all I can do. Yeah. They're basically helping other white people out for doing the right thing and helping. They're helping white people, white peopling. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect and succinct. Yes. When people of color criticize these groups, they're told that they might alienate white allies and discourage them from doing anti-racism work. So that's the argument. If you're not nice to us, we won't help you. I'm sorry, but if people of color are trying to engage white people or if white people are trying to engage people of color and white people are being stopped from engaging and if they're not allowed, I mean, are those really allies that you want no you're there absolutely not and this is an argument i've actually come across when trying to explain something to someone they're like well you could be nicer no and of course i say first of all i make 50 cents every 70 you make because it's usually a white Mm -hmm. one (laughs) i leave with that so on top of that you want me to be nice to you while you're telling me my problems aren't actually a problem. I don't want you as an ally. Yeah. I don't care if you don't quote unquote help me. I don't Exactly. White people. I'm telling you as a white person. <laughs> the best way to be an ally is to shut up. Shut yeah. up. Let people of mm-hmm. color tell you what's wrong. And then, you know, dip a toe in. Right. It's what can I do to help? Exactly. But don't say tell me how to help it's like that's not their job ask don't make them tell you ask and they'll tell you they'll tell you yes Mm -hmm. yeah and then you you agree yeah and that's it that's no discussion yeah yes i understand what you're saying i'm listening cool let's move forward don't argue you have to say don't argue Mm -hmm. just don't but so groups like this surge will have two or three non-white members that supposedly hold them accountable but really what they do is these organizations use these token people of color 
to say, see, look, we have people of color. They're babysitters, sounds like. Yes, exactly. Uh And so one of the chapters straight up admitted, our surge meetings are probably the last place on earth any Black or Latinx folks would want to be. (gasps) Gross! Yeah. Gross! What are you doing in your meetings to end racial inequality that would make us uncomfortable is what I want to know. Right. I don't want to know. Okay, I'll go in. I'll wear a hidden camera. (laughs) I'll wear a hidden camera. We'll get like, we'll put it in my glasses or I'll go. I'll, I'll blow the lid off of this whole thing. That's why I made sure to list these organizations so that people know to avoid them. Call them out. I hope I've sufficiently bummed everyone out. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Well, I'm kind of ending on, I don't want to say it's a high note, but let's just say like it's not a total bummer. I'm going to talk about the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm -hmm. So full disclosure here, guys, I didn't finish the book. I didn't see the movie, (laughs) but I can Google like a champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the story about Henrietta Lacks. It is both awesome and awful. It is awesome. So Henrietta Lacks, she was a tobacco farmer. She was a black woman. In 1951, cervical cancer cells were removed from her without her consent, the consent of her family, or their knowledge. Uh But here's the thing about Henrietta's cells is that they became what's known as an immortal cell line. So hold on to your hats because it's going to get a little sciencey here. Basically, an immortal cell line is they have an enzyme called telomerase, which is found in some cancer cells, but also it's found in stem cells. And it basically means they're resistant to cell death. So it just so happens that these cells that were taken from Henrietta without her knowledge became an immortal cell line. They were known as HELA, H-E-L-A. So they were taken from her in 1951. Here's the kicker. HELA cells? are still used today Wow! in biological and medical research. Here's a quote from the book The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. Her cells, quote, went up in the first space missions to see what would happen to human cells in zero gravity and helped with some of the most important advances in medicine, the polio vaccine, chemotherapy, cloning, gene mapping, and in vitro fertilization. Oh my God. Yes. So Hella cells are still used today. Wow. They've been used in experiments for HIV, for STIs. And Rebecca Skloot, who wrote The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, she is a white woman. It was uh, released in 2010, and it was recently made into a film which was produced by Oprah and also starred Oprah as Henrietta's daughter, Deborah. Uh Deborah is still alive. Most of Henrietta's family is still alive, and they're still involved. The Lacks family also has never seen any compensation for the use of Henrietta's cells. That's awful. It is. Like I said, it's awesome because, oh my God, if they had just asked her to take her cells and she had consented, how friggin' proud would her family be Uh right now? Because- Hello, the polio vaccine? Like, what? They didn't know until, like, the early 2000s that Hella, actually, the Hella cells have been misnomered because nobody even knew what Hella stood for, H-E-L-A. They were often misidentified as belonging to a woman named Helen Lane. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't until recently that it actually was discovered that her name is actually Henrietta Lacks. So Rebecca Skloot basically discovered this and, you, you know, what these cells were used for. And I found a lot of conflicting articles regarding this about... Is the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, does it fall into the white savior trope? A lot of articles are super split on that. 
Mm-hmm. I get that. One article from Bustle is titled How the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks Avoids the White Savior Trap. Right. And then one article from The Muse, which was written by a Black journalist. It's called The Immortal Life of White Saviors and Black Stories. Oh, interesting. Yes. I mean, regardless, it's about the exploitation of Black bodies. Absolutely. And yeah. unfortunately, Black bodies have been utterly ravaged by the medical community. Yeah. All I have to say is the Tuskegee experiments. Mm-hmm. That alone is just horrific. Yep. And then we also have, going even farther back, we have the advancements in gynecology happened on black slave women. Mm-hmm. Like horrific things were done in the name of science to the black community. And Henrietta Lacks is just one of those. Because Skloot, she wrote it with the full cooperation of the Lacks family. Okay. So that's one thing in its favor. It's more the movie that a lot of people have an issue with. It did take a while for the Lacks family to trust her right. and to give her access to all of Henrietta's medical records, what little there were, because it was the 40s and 50s. And this was a white woman. Mm -hmm. you know saying i'm writing a book about your mom help me give me all your information it's a little weird it's definitely white saviory in the way that Mm -hmm. we have this white woman who is like i will make this woman's name known and yeah that part is definitely white saviory i agree with that it's also like when we were talking about in our episode with not historians and right with birth control you were talking about how women Mm -hmm. in puerto rico were used for birth control experiments and yeah exactly we owe it to tell these stories and that's a way that we in our lives as white people, I mean, you know, not you, Mina, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. My community as white people, that's how we can avoid being white saviors. Right. All right. So do you want to move on to our recommendations? Quick spiel for those of you who are listening for the first time. Amazon's recommend is where Mina and I each have 60 seconds to tell you about something that we like or that we're super stoked about or something that might be relevant to our episode. Stuff that we can't really talk about on a full episode. Mina, are you ready? I am. Three, two, one and a go. So my recommendation is actually going to be something different. Uh, it's nothing specific. It's a subject which is on everyone's mind right now because of Black Panther. I'm going to talk about Afro futurism. So Afrofuturism is a cultural aesthetic, philosophy of science, and philosophy of history that explores the developing intersection of African slash African American culture with technology. It combines elements of science fiction, historical fiction, fantasy, Afrocentrism, and magic realism with non-Western cosmologies in order to critique the present-day dilemmas of Black people and to examine historical events. It became more common and widespread in the late 1950s. Modern artists who embrace Afrofuturism are Solange Knowles, Rihanna, Beyonce, Erica Badu, Missy Elliott, and Janelle Monet, um, and they incorporate cyborg themes and metallics. Um, the most famous Afrofuturist author is Octavia Butler, um, but there are different. Mm, that's okay. Ah, that's good. There's so much information, <laughs> so I got a good amount out. All right, and I will go three, two, one. All right. So I would like to talk to you about some books, uh, not necessarily a series, but they all are kind of loosely connected. Uh, There's this author that I really like. Her name is Lisa C. S. E. E. And she is she herself is uh, half Chinese, half American. But all of her books are very beautifully detailed Chinese history, mostly from 
you know, the feudal era or the 1800s or World War II. And specifically, my personal favorite book of hers is Shanghai Girls. It takes place at the uh, very beginning of World War II, and it focuses on two sisters named Pearl and May, and they actually are... um, they escape war-torn Shanghai to Los Angeles, California with the rush of Chinese immigrants going to the U.S. And they're entered into arranged marriages with uh, American-born Chinese and they have to adjust to the culture shock. Ah. Sounds good, though. Oh, it's so good. And they're so beautiful and they're so well-researched. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Geek and Amazons. Sorry this episode was such a bummer, yeah. but it's a really important topic and yeah. we need to get get better at recognizing it and calling it out. But the good news is, is that Mina and I are committed to a more regular schedule. Woo. Yeah. So we're going to try to return to the twice monthly episode schedule and get way better at posting episodes because we love doing this show. And mm-hmm. But, you know, mental health, man. It's a bitch. Yeah. I feel like the show that we're doing gets more and more important. And I think everyone knows what mm-hmm. we're talking about. Um, yeah. So I think... We sort of have to get better at this. Yeah. Plus, I want to be Chris Hardwick famous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. That too. If you want to help launch us into Chris Hardwick level fame, you can find us on Facebook at Geek and Amazons Podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Geek and Amazons. I have to get better at updating the Instagram, but I am constantly on Twitter. So feel free to follow us, say hi, and interact. You can also find us on Patreon. We do have a Patreon campaign running. Please help. It's at patreon.com slash geekendlegion. And there you can choose to make a monthly donation and it will help support the show, help keep us running because podcasting is not free. It's free to it's free for you to listen to, but it's not free to produce. So mm-hmm. give us your money. <laughs> and you can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Google Play. We're on Podbean. Pretty much almost all of the big podcasting apps. If you are listening to us on iTunes, iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe so that you are the first to get our new episodes when they're posted, and that makes you super special. Mm-hmm. So, thank you so much for listening. I'm Bella. I'm Mina. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me.